Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. And we are talking about Jesus this morning, uh, leading up to Easter. Um, if you want to know the story of Palm Sunday, it's found in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. So you have many options to read the story of, of Jesus' triumphal entry uh, on Palm Sunday. Uh, but this morning, I want to talk about something different. I want to highlight a phrase that was the Holy Spirit had dropped into me uh, a couple weeks ago during one of our prayer meetings on a Wednesday night. And, and the phrase was, was this, was the revelation of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus. And, uh, and so that's what I want to talk about this morning. During that prayer meeting, um, which is, we, we spent the, the whole prayer meeting just praying into that phrase and into that word. That people would just have the revelation of Jesus. Revelation is different than understanding. Revelation is different than even knowing about. I think everybody in this room knows about Jesus. Uh, you could probably recount scriptures. You can probably recount many stories concerning the life of Jesus, who he was, what he did. In fact, we live, we live in America. So the majority of our country, whether they're Christian or not, can at least give you a brief explanation of who Jesus is, right? That's knowledge of who Jesus is. That's understanding. But not many people have a revelation of who Jesus is. Revelation is, is something that's more experiential rather than just understanding and with, with our mental capacity. It's easy to understand things with our mental capacity. It's a whole nother thing to have an experience and a revelation that not only do I know about Jesus, but Jesus is literally changing everything about me. Many people know about Jesus, but not many people are affected daily by Jesus. And that's the difference between knowledge of Jesus and the revelation of Jesus. We, I'm not I'm going into this story today, but you'll remember when Jesus was with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, he's sitting with his disciples and he asked them, who do men say that I am? Everybody remember this story? He says, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist, reincarnated, right? Or you're a prophet from old, right? So they, they had an understanding that Jesus was some kind of powerful prophet or being, but they had no idea who Jesus really was. They knew that he had something on his life. They knew that he was, was pretty powerful. I mean, to be compared to Elijah the prophet, or John the Baptist. I mean, those are huge, uh, huge comparisons. So they knew that this guy was a big deal, but they had not a revelation of who he was. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says what? Who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He had a revelation of who Jesus was. You know, before that, Peter had witnessed Jesus doing miracles. He had been walking with Jesus for a good amount of time by this point. He had seen all of these miraculous things, but at that moment, he had a revelation of who Jesus was. 
It was that moment that Peter's eyes were opened. And I love the phrase that comes next. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you did not figure this out on your own. But my father revealed this to you. And that's an important statement for what we're talking about with the revelation of Jesus today. Because many people try to figure out Jesus. Many people, especially in the church world, have seen Jesus do incredible things. They have been in services uh, like we have sometimes where the presence of the Lord is heavy and thick. They have seen miracles happen maybe in their own body and maybe in other people's body. But they still have yet to have a revelation of who Jesus actually is. He's still, you can actually see the power of Jesus without actually affecting your life. And the proof of that is in the gospels. How many people saw Jesus do incredible things, yet still walk away unchanged, yet still nothing about their life has shifted they still didn't pursue Jesus with everything they had. They, they marveled at the miracle, said, this is amazing. They loved the entertainment factor, but they were unchanged by the miracle or the presence. And the reason is, is because it takes an experience where the father reveals the revelation of who Jesus is. I can't reveal it to you. I can tell you all about it. I can lead you to the water, but the father has to reveal who the Christ is to us. Revelation comes because the father gives us the revelation. Amen. You might be sitting there thinking, well, then how do I, I mean, I want that, right? I want that revelation. How do, how do I get it if I can't just read the Bible and, and understand it? How do I receive that revelation? Let me tell you something. God wants to give that revelation to you more than you want it. If a father, if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more does your father in heaven want to give you good gifts? Amen? Here's the key. We have to put ourselves in the position to receive it. What's, what's our part? We have to put ourselves in the position to receive the revelation of Jesus. If Peter would have been wandering around Bethlehem, instead of sitting there with Jesus, he would have never received the revelation of Jesus. But Peter constantly put him in a position where he could discover the revelation of who Jesus was. And if we want to receive the revelation of Jesus, we have to put ourselves in a position to receive it. We have to constantly be putting ourselves in a position to receive it. That means we daily go to the Father. We daily put ourselves in an atmosphere of worship and prayer. We daily seek him. And as we daily do that, as we put ourselves in those positions, then the father will give us and reveal us the revelation of Jesus. Amen. None of this is in my notes this morning. So that's just part A, I guess, of this message this morning. The revelation of Jesus. We are in the season of Easter right now. Everyone across the United States and the globe is talking about 
This morning and next morning, Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, how he came and he saved us, right? Everybody across the planet is doing that this morning. But the question I wanna ask you this morning is, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? And many of you in this room are, are right now thinking of different things, going through your mind of why Jesus came. And most of them, probably unless you're just, you know, I don't know, crazy, you're probably right. <laughs> What's going on in your head? Because there's a lot of complexities to it. There's a lot of reasons why Jesus came. And some of those reasons why we would say Jesus came, probably the most popular answer is, well, Jesus came to save us from our sins and to save us from our sins so that we can go to heaven, so that we do not have to go to hell, right? So this is probably the number one answer. And, I, and I'm here to tell you this morning that that is absolutely the truth. Jesus came to save us, to rescue us from our sins. He died on the cross and his death on the cross erased our sins, eradicated our sins, that he was the spotless lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world so that we could be free, whole, and righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are exactly right if you thought that. Jesus did come to save us from our sins. He did come so that we wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. He came so that we can spend eternity in paradise with the Father, Son, and Spirit, echoing with the angels that you are holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that every day for all of eternity, never ending, we can behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Absolutely, that's what he did. But I want to tell you this morning that many times that is where we stop. And it is, if that was the gospel itself, then that is the most glorious gospel we can hear. But there is so much more to the story. And many times we stop at Jesus saved me from my sins and now I get to go to heaven. But there is a whole nother realm, a whole nother world of revelation to discover. And many times we sell ourselves short because we stop at he saved me from my sins so I can go to heaven. So why did Jesus come? And let me say it this way too. If the only reason he came was to save us from our sins, to be the spotless lamb that was without blemish or spot or wrinkle, then why did he have to wait 33 years to be that sacrifice? Why couldn't he have just been born and been that sacrifice right away? Why, why couldn't Herod, you remember the story, Herod went out to kill the babies because he heard of this king that was coming and he felt threatened. So he killed all of the children two of, of age two and under. Why wouldn't it have worked if all he had to do was die for our sins to be forgiven? Why wouldn't it have worked if they just went ahead and let Herod kill him and he'd become the sacrifice at that moment? Why did he live 33 years on this earth? And some might say maybe he lived 33 years because he had to show us how to live. Right? He had to show us how to be Christian, how to, how, to, how to follow Jesus, how to follow the Holy Spirit and the Lord. And that's absolutely true. But why couldn't he have just done that through prophets like he had done for generations and generations before? Why did God himself, why did Jesus himself have to come to the earth, live for 33 years, and then die on the cross? Why did he come? Why? 
Not only did Jesus come to do those things that we've already talked about, to die on the cross, to save us from our sins so that we could go to heaven, to show us how to live in the new covenant. He did all of those things. But here's what I believe is the main reason, one of the main reasons Jesus came to the earth and lived for 33 years. I believe Jesus came to the earth and lived for 33 years because he came to reveal the Father. Those of you in Jenny's Sunday school class have already been talking about this. That Jesus came to reveal the Father. Let me show you what I mean. Colossians 1, 15 says he is the image, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. John 1, 18 says, no one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved son who is cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. John 14, six through seven says, Jesus explained, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father too. And from now on, you will realize that you have seen and experienced him, Father God. And this, this is just the tip of the iceberg. The gospels, the writings of Paul are littered with verses just like this, that, that I don't do anything, Jesus said, I don't do anything apart from what my father tells me to do. That, that when you look at me, you are seeing the very image of my father. At one point in time, the disciples said, just show us the father and we'll believe you. And he looks at him and he says, have you not gotten it yet? If you look at me, you see the father. I've said this a thousand times. If you look at me, you are seeing the very image, the very likeness, the very character of my father in heaven. Jesus came and spent 33 years on this earth to redefine in our minds what the father looks like. What he acts like, how he talks, what his will is. That when we look at Jesus, we have a full explanation of who the father is. I love how Bill Johnson puts it. He says that Jesus is perfect theology. That if your theology of who God is doesn't look like the person of Jesus, then your theology about God is wrong. Plain and simple. If anything you think about God doesn't look like the person of Jesus, then it is wrong because Jesus is perfect theology. He came to this earth to reveal who the father is. And he had to do that because they had the image of the father completely wrong. As you read through the gospels, as you read the account of who Jesus walked and lived with, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, when you look at how they acted and how they interpreted scripture, they viewed God as a tyrant. They viewed God as, as somebody ready to smite them at any second if they disobeyed any letter of the law, right? That their definition of pleasing the father was following the law to a T. And if you did not do that, then you were labeled a sinner, 
a hypocrite, a person not worthy of God and the gospel. That's how they viewed Jesus, that you plead or they viewed the father, that they, that if you did not follow the law to a T, then you could not please the father. This is how they viewed the, how they viewed Jesus. The people had the wrong idea about God. They thought that the law was how you please God and they were wrong. Romans seven tells us that the law's purpose was to reveal dormant sin. If you read all through Romans seven, it tells you the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to reveal dormant sin that corrupted our desires and made us like the prodigal son who would rather run with the pigs than feast with the father. The law's purpose was to reveal sin so that we would run to the father. But the way they saw it was that the law, if it was not kept to the standard that was set by the law, then you were unable to please the father and they couldn't have been further from the truth. Because when you look at Jesus, he doesn't run away from the sinners. He runs to the sinners. He doesn't disown them and act like they don't exist and reap condemnation on the sinners that have disobeyed the law. Instead, he runs to the sinners and shows them God is not angry at you. God wants to redeem you and to save you, right? So their idea about God was wrong. So God sent Jesus, yes, to die on the cross to save us from our sins, but more than that, he came to reveal the Father. He came to say what the Father wanted to say, which brings us to our next question. What did the Father want to say? If Jesus came to reveal the Father and to say what the Father wanted to say, then what did the Father want to say. What was he saying through Jesus? Everybody knows the answer to this. John, what? 316. Everyone in the room knows it. And if you're really super spiritual and had a great Sunday school teacher, you know 17 as well. John 316 verse 17. What did the father have to say through Jesus? He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why did he say this? Why did he have to tell them God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world? Because they thought God was ready to condemn the world. They thought the purpose, the, the, the idea that God had in mind was that if you sinned and you fell short, then God was ready just to send you to hell and condemn you. So he had to tell them God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That, or, but that the world might be saved through him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And here's the deal. 
I'm afraid that, that the Bible, the people in the Bible in Jesus' day aren't the only ones who have a wrong image of the Father. That they're not the only ones who misunderstand the Father's intentions. And many of us, here comes this revelation thing. Many of us know this verse that God loves us. But the reality is, is a lot of times our view of who God is, is that God is this angry, upset dad that's upset with us because he sinned. And God is walking towards us, ready to beat us and ready to, to punish us for our sins. But Jesus, thank God for Jesus, he steps in and he takes the beating from the father for us. So that we can be saved. And the problem with that image is when we view that, we say Jesus loves us. He's gracious. He's merciful. But God over here, he's angry. He's mad. Jesus had to step in so to take the full wrath of God so that we didn't have to take the wrath of God. And he stepped in and he took the beating that we deserve because God is an angry God. The problem with that is, is that's not what Jesus revealed. That it was actually the father's idea to send Jesus. It was actually the father's idea to send Jesus to reveal to everybody on the planet that I am not an angry, wrathful, vengeful God who's mad at you because you messed up. But I actually love you with an unquenchable, passionate love. There's a song that came out this week that just keeps going in my head. It says that he is jealous for us. And I'm not talking about the David Crowder one. It's a different one. That he is jealous for you. That when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned and they fell and they turned their face from us, from him, that his heart was broken. The father's heart was broken. And so much so that he left his own throne to come and to save us. I wasn't going to get into this either, but when we think of the cross, we think of Jesus hanging on the cross. And many of us know the, or have this idea that, that Jesus, or that when Jesus was on the cross, that at some point in time, the father actually turned his back on Jesus and left Jesus. And we get that idea because of the verse where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we have this image that God turned his back on Jesus. But listen, it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It never says that God turned his back on Jesus. In fact, the verse that Jesus was quoting was Psalms 22, which if you go into Psalms 22, I think there's like 12 prophecies about Jesus on the cross fulfilled in that one chapter. And the very first part of that psalm is, is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus, many believe Jesus wasn't actually com commenting on the status of the father, but was rather pointing people to the fact that he was fulfilling Psalms 22 while hanging on the cross. You want to know the interesting thing about Psalms 22? It says explicitly in the psalm that, that his face, that Jesus is saying that my father's face never turned away from me. That he was always with me. First, first or second Corinthians, I can't remember which one, says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. 
Where was God when Jesus was hanging on the cross? He didn't have his back turned. He wasn't distant. He wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't release his wrath and then just walk away. No, he was in the very center of all of it. He was in Christ. The Bible tells us exactly where God was. He was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. God doesn't shy away from sin. You know, people think that God had to turn his back on Jesus because God is so holy, he can't look at sin. And that is a lie. Throughout the entirety of the Bible, you constantly see God pursuing sinners. So much so that he became Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That he didn't, he doesn't, he's not afraid of sin. He's not like, he doesn't, he can't get dirty if he's around sin. Like we almost see like, like sin is mud and God is, has white clothes on. Like if he gets around the mud, then somehow it's going to stain him. Listen, he's not that weak. His holiness is not that fragile. God doesn't run from sin. He runs to sin. He runs to the one that's in the mud. He stoops down like he did with the adulterous woman and he gets and he makes eye contact with the sinners. He pursues us in our sin because he loves us, because he loves us. He, he, that's why he came into the world because God so loved the world that I think this morning more than anything that God is wanting to redeem our view of the father, that he is not angry at you, that it is not his desire to punish you. It is not, it's not his will to punish you and Jesus' will to save you. That they are in 100% agreement and union with one another. That their desire is to save you because they love you and they're jealous for your affection. The father does not turn away from your sin. He was in Christ reconciling you to himself. He is not disappointed in you. He is not turning his back on you. That the revelation of Jesus is the revelation of the Father. That everything you see and feel and know about Jesus is everything that's true about the Father. The revelation of Jesus is the revelation of the father. I wrote this in here. God is not mad at you. He doesn't want to punish you. He doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to destroy what is destroying you. Which is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. His desire isn't to destroy you. His wrath, yes, the Bible talks about God's wrath, but that wrath is not pointed at you. That wrath is pointed at what's destroying you. His desire isn't to destroy you, it's to destroy what is destroying you. I'm gonna end with these verses right here. Romans chapter eight, verse 31 and 33. So what does all of this mean? Paul writes, if God has determined to stand with us, tell me who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his great love by giving us his greatest treasure. 
the gift of his son. All the proof you need that God is good and for your good is in Jesus. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for, uh, since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold for us anything else he has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those? <laughs> Who then would dare to accuse those whom God himself has chosen to love to be his? This is a threat against your enemy. Who would dare stand to threaten the one that he loves? This is a threat from God against what is destroying us. God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them, not guilty. Romans 8, 38 and 9 says, So now I live in confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death and life's troubles. Fallen angels are dark rulers in the present or future circumstances that can weaken, that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love. Look at what it says. It doesn't say Jesus's passionate love. We know Jesus loves us, but God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. The primary purpose of the cross was not to destroy sin or to get us out of hell. The primary purpose was to bring us back, to reconcile us to the father. Sin was in the way, so it had to be dealt with. But his purpose was to rescue the one that he loves. He loves you. The Father loves you. And the proof of that is in the revelation of Jesus. Let's stand together for, to end the service. Thank you, Father. Normally at this time, Paul would already be up here playing the keys, but you know what? When the Holy Spirit's here, we don't need any extra help, do we? I just believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit is here right now. And we're going to take a moment and make some room for the Father to reveal the revelation of who Jesus is. That the revelation of Jesus is the revelation of the Father. Go ahead and close your eyes with me and just lift your hands in the air. Father, I pray right now in this moment, God, that this would be an opportunity for a Peter moment for some in this room. That we have experienced your presence before. Some of us have even seen your miracles before and we know all about you. But God, I pray that this morning that there would be a revelation released on who you are. Father, it's not within my power to release that. It's within the Father's power alone to reveal who the Christ, the Son of the living God is. So Father, Holy Spirit, right now, I just pray that your revelation would be released and that in this moment, God, we would go from a knowing to an experiencing 
that we would go from having knowledge about the Bible to actually being absolutely radically changed by the gospel. God, that just in that day when, uh, when, when Peter went from being Simon to having his identity who he was completely changed by that revelation. God, I pray that, that this morning, that as people receive the revelation of Jesus and who you are, God, that there would be a complete radical shift in every being of who they are. Lord, that just as Simon went from being Simon to being Peter, the one who the, the church is built upon. Father, that, they, that, our, that the revelation of Jesus and who you are, God, would shift our identity and everything about who we are, Father. God, that the revelation of Jesus would come into the room right now. Father, I pray that, that our ideas of who the Father is, God, even if, even if theologically we know that you love us, Father, I pray that we, it would be a revelation that you love us. Father, that if we have any wrong mindsets about who you are, Lord, if we have any skewed picture of the father. God, I pray that right now that that, that would be done away with Jesus, that, that that image of who you are that was wrong would be cleared and that a true revelation of the father would be given right now in the name of Jesus. God, that we would not only know John three sixteen, but God, that we would experience and have a revelation of John three sixteen. God, that it was your love it was the Father's love that sent Jesus. That he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us and to rescue us. Thank you, Jesus. If you have your hands up, go ahead and put them down for a second. I feel like I, I, I want to issue a response here in this moment. That if uh, one of two things, if, if you've had a wrong view of who the father is, if you've had a skewed view of who the father is, if, if your imagination of God is that he is a wrathful God, that Jesus stepped in and and, and took our beating for us, and that God is somehow just angry with us, then I want you to raise your hands with me this morning. And if, if maybe you are on the other end of the spectrum and, and you, you know about Jesus, you've heard all the Sunday school teachings, you know John 3.16, but you've never had a revelation, a Peter moment where it, it, it completely revolutionizes who you are. I don't know how, it's, it's such an experiential thing. It's hard to explain what that looks like. But if you've had that experience, you know, if you've never had that experience, then I want you to raise your hand as well. Jesus. Father, I just pray, Lord, anyone who has raised their hands this morning, 
God, that you would give them their heart's desire. That their skewed views would be fixed this morning. God, that, that it wouldn't just be a knowledge from hearing me preach the message, but that there would be a reality inside of them that changes the way they look at this world, they look at themselves, and look at how you respond to sin. Father, that they would have a revelation of the Father and the revelation of Jesus. God, and that revelation would continue. And Lord, I, I believe that this, that it grows in layers, that the revelation of Jesus is, is in layers. Lord, and for those of us who maybe have experienced that, God, that we would just keep having that revelation and we would keep growing in our revelation of who you are, Father, that those encounters would keep happening over and over again. God, we thank you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I believe with all my heart, one of the things we prayed at that prayer meeting, you can, we're going to dismiss here in a second, but uh, one of the things we prayed at that prayer meeting was that in this season, that the revelation of Jesus would be experienced in a, in a, in a broad way. And so I believe with all my heart that in this Easter season, God is going to begin pouring out revelation after revelation after revelation of who he is, not from this platform, but in your prayer closet, in your time spent with him, that revelation of Jesus is going to begin to be poured out upon us. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here. Happy Palm Sunday.